This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 48, a review of the recent press releases for Five Drugs in Development, plus from The Vault, a section from our Nash Tag 22 coverage considering different issues surrounding the trial designs and use of drug and diagnostic combinations. This conversation starts with Stephen Harrison's observation that the 12-week weight loss observed with pemvidutide was comparable to the weight loss seen at 24 weeks in the Acaro trial, a trial we will discuss later in this episode. He comments that while stock analysts might have punished the drug somewhat for not demonstrating greater weight loss, he considers that reaction an inaccurate read of what pemvidutide can achieve in NASH and probably even in obesity. In wrapping up discussion of this study, Mazen Nuruddin and Jorn Schottenberg each comment on why they consider the weight loss levels compelling. At this point, Stephen goes on to discuss Acaro and Afruxafermin, an FGF21 agonist reporting results from the Phase 2B Harmony trial with 113 F2 or F3 patients. He notes the presence of key secondary endpoints and some important demographics of the patient population. He also describes the program for histological analysis and then goes on to describe some extremely positive, perhaps eye-popping results. When he finishes, Mazen and Yorn each describe these two results, Altimune and Acaro, as comprising a wow episode, and Louise Campbell discusses the potential for the NIT analysis in this study to speed transition to beyond the biopsy. Last week, I described Nash drug development as heading into an exciting time, which made this week's podcast what Mazen Nordin and Jorn Schottenberg each described as a wow episode. We have all thirsted for legitimate good news for so long. These press releases suggest we might not have that much longer to wait. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Stephen Harrison. I think it's important to put the liver fat content reductions in context here. When you see 14.7% absolute reduction in liver fat content in 12 weeks' time, when we talk about a caro, that's the liver fat content reduction they saw at 24 weeks. And you can see what histology change uh, is linked to that degree of liver fat content reduction from a caro. Different mechanism, but some similar ways in which they work, particularly through the FGF2 and 3 pathway, where you're getting upregulation of fatty acids at oxidation, and et cetera. So I was surprised that the stock took such a hit after reporting this data. And I suppose that's because Wall Street might have expected a larger weight loss in this population of patients at this 12-week time interval. If you look back at their prior study, there was a little bit more weight loss present. And I think there's a lot of interest riding on this particular drug as an obesity agent. And I think it's important to reflect on a couple things. Number one, if you we didn't go through the demographics of the population, but this is almost in contrast to many of the other trials that we'll talk about today. Almost 70% of this population enrolled is Hispanic. And if you look at the liver fat content, again, you had to have a significant amount of liver fat content to be enrolled in the study. And just when we look at the baseline characteristics, again, which I didn't go through, but the baseline liver fat content in these patients were between 20 and 24% liver fat content. So when we talk about clinical trials in NASH, that's a large percentage of liver fat content. And that's what you see routinely when you put liver fat content at baseline greater than 10%. You get something in the low 20s. When you set it at 8%, which is some of the trials we'll talk about today, tends to be in the high teens. So when we talk about these normalization of liver fat content in 12 weeks, starting at the level that we're at, that is significant. So let's talk about the weight loss there because I think that is important. And I think that might be linked to some genetic variables as well, seeing that it's 
significant percentage of these people are Hispanic, probably enriched for P and PLA3 for sure. And the weight loss, it, it doesn't surprise me that it's only 4% at 12 weeks. If you go back and look at the SEMA data that was published in the New England Journal in the phase 2B trial, and you try to tease out on that graph in the supplemental part of that published paper, and you try to draw a line at 12 weeks, it's around 4% is the weight loss that was seen with SEMA at the same time point. So I think some people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater here relative to this drug. It bodes well that these NITs we're seeing are going to have a significant impact on histopathology when this drug is taken into paired liver biopsy trials. And it's important to note also, I'm unaware of any liver biopsy using a GLP-1 and glucagon agonist to date. Maybe Yorn and Mazin know of something I'm missing, but I'm drawing a blank on where we are with that. So I think this is kind of our first shot on goal showing non-invasive data, but heretofore, no data with a liver biopsy in that combination yet. Mazen Nuruddin. So let me jump in to support that and also remind us to keep on time because we have others. I, I totally agree with you, Stephen. As a hepatologist, I don't want to see more than 4.3 in 12 weeks. We have this also phenomena that too rapid weight loss might not be good and it makes you wonder what else you're losing. So another point that if they move that to the cirrhotics, I also don't want to see that rapid weight loss more than what I have seen in 12 weeks in a cirrhotic group for multiple reasons, obesity, sarcopenia, sarcopenia, you name it. And we know that. We know that from dieting. Too rapid weight loss is not good in general. So I really like that balance between the weight loss that they achieved in 12 weeks and likely direct mechanistic effect on the liver. And I was just surprised to hear that this is the first time I hear about their Wall Street effect. I think they should keep going with, with confidence and their heads up. Jörn Schattenberg. My final comment and, and thinking here is as Mazen highlighted, liver disease is not all about weight. And I think I, I support the concept of having the stool agonism here with some weight loss and some liver specific effects. I think this is looking fine. Yeah, I was just going to add that, that that is a late breaker poster at AASLD. So stay tuned. I feel like we're speed dating a bit here. I'm going to jump right into Acaro next. Acaro is a company that is working in the field of NASH, and they have a compound that is an FGF21 agonist. FGF21 is an endogenous hormone that has lots of metabolic impact, and they're reporting phase 2b data from the Harmony trial. This is a trial that they're reporting on 113 patients looking at two different doses, 28 milligram, 50 milligram given once weekly injection versus placebo. This is a biopsy proven F23 NASH trial. Liver fat content 8% or better based on MRI PDFF. Actually, patients are going to be followed for a year here or 48 weeks, but there's a biopsy at 24 weeks. And the primary endpoint of this trial is greater than or equal to one stage fibrosis improvement without worsening of NASH. And there's a whole slew of key secondary endpoints that we probably don't have time to get into today any more than just a high level. Just jumping right to the chase here. I mentioned how many people were enrolled. About 70% of people were diabetic. About two-thirds of patients were F3. The mean liver fat content was around 17 to 18% as noted already. It is important to note, and I think any trial that looks at histology that doesn't report on this is probably should be looked at with a jaundiced eye, no pun intended. But I do think we've learned a lot about histology and we know kind of where some of our pitfalls are. So the way that this analysis was done is that there were two different pathologists. They scored the data independently 
equally on an ordinal scale. If they agreed, they reached consensus, that was the final score. If they had different scores, they had to get together and see if they could agree. If they agreed, great. If they didn't, then there was a third pathologist brought in to adjudicate. Now, it's important to note that this did not use AI digital pathology in this particular assessment. So what did the primary endpoint show? Fibrosis improvement of at least one stage with no worsening of NASH at week 24. High dose, 41%. Low dose, 39%. Placebo, 20%. Treatment effect delta, 19 to 21%. Significant for both doses. All right. What about NASH resolution and no worsening of fibrosis? One of the key secondary endpoints. 47% low dose, 76% high dose, 15% placebo. Significant at both doses. Now, what about the more stringent endpoint of both fibrosis improvement and NASH resolution? 29% low dose, 41% high dose, 5% placebo. One more, patients achieving fibrosis improvement of at least two stages and no worsening of fibrosis at 24 weeks. It was 16% low dose, 15% high dose, 5% low dose. So a tripling of that number. Liver fat content reduction, another key secondary endpoint, 6% for placebo, 52% low dose, 64% relative fat content reduction at 24 weeks. When we look at those that had at least 50% liver fat content reduction, it was 63 low dose, 77% high dose. When we look at normalization of liver fat content, 34% low dose, 51% high dose. ALT significantly reduced in a dose response manner. It was rapid and sustained. Pro-C3 using the LISA assay, not the new Roche Amplicor assay, about a 5 nanogram per ml drop with both doses. ELF scores dropped by more than half a point. Liver stiffness at the high dose, 4 kPa. Low dose, 2.6 kPa. Side effects, again, what you would we've come to expect from this FGF21 compound, mainly mild to moderate GI-related diarrhea, nausea, increased appetite. Again, something we've seen with this mechanism and increased frequency of bowel movements. And then there was positive impact on HbA1c, about half a point in diabetics, 0.4 if you look at all of them together. Triglycerides were down 25 to 29%, LDL down around 8%, and then HDL up about 24 to 30%. Interestingly here, body weight in the high dose group dropped about 2.9 kilograms. And let me stop there and throw this open for comment. Roger, maybe when you announce this episode, call it the wow episode. It's really good two weeks for NASH. Those are amazing results. The first study, the second study. Indeed, let me throw something controversial, which is the following. We talked about the combo, combo, combo for NITs to diagnose the disease and monitor it and combo for treatments. And I don't want to get into that, but the question is, with such a result that Stephen just talked about, do we we need a combo or not? This is one of the best results we have seen, given it's a small sample size. It's still, it's biopsy proven, really clean, had a lot of things implemented in it that we have been talking about for some time. The two pathologists and confirming with the third pathologist, they hit all the primary endpoints that the FDA is asking for, including the NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement. There were two-stage improvement in fibrosis. And I used to be skeptical about fibrosis improvement in such a short time. In contrast to Stephen, I was always optimistic about it. And I think I'm now more optimistic about it after such a result. So fantastic results, very encouraging for those that doubted the field of NASH and the efficacy of drugs. Here we are achieving what we need to achieve with the old, strict, difficult 
difficult endpoints that has pathology issues and yet we're moving the needle. So congratulations to Akira and you, Stephen, on this great study. Louise, you have a comment? Louise Campbell. Yeah, just to follow on from Mazen on this one specifically, and probably the previous one, it also gives us data with non-invasive technologies that all correlate potentially with the biopsy proven outcome. So it could help us push the use of non-invasive technologies with the FDA. It goes back to the conversation at Paris Nash that a lot more data is collected than is used for the production of those endpoints. Where patients sit moving beyond the biopsy, the more trials that we get, particularly the encouraging data from these two that support that because all of the non-invasive technologies reduced in somewhat, particularly FibroScan, particularly MRI, PDFF, that for me is encouraging. It means patients and people will engage a little bit better in the trials and both of them were extremely exciting. I would like to also see CAP data discussed because of course we're measuring liver fat and we're looking at liver fat by all the mechanisms so I'd just like to see that data included as well but that's a personal preference because we are going to need to measure these drugs should they pass all of the rest of the assessments and get out to public use and real world but very exciting given where we were 18 months ago. Yeah I'm with Madden this is a wow effect for me if you look at the more stringent combined endpoint resolution of cytoptitis and regression of fibrosis placebo is five percent okay we're not seeing overinflated placebo effects here and still you have what was it 30 35 40 percent over placebo in the high treatment arm you see a clear dose response i mean this is like the bases are loaded for the phase three and nobody you just have to hit the ball out of the park and now back to roger We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss the recent NICE meeting evaluating use of ECTE in community settings in the UK. In the meantime, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.